Right, before this entire interview starts and the entire show uh, with 1PW owner Stephen Gauntley, I just want to th uh, throw out a few caveats. First, we did this on uh, Messenger instead of Skype, which is why I usually do it, and a freeway conversation on Messenger actually results in a little bit of um, shit audio, let's just say. Um, so it, it certainly doesn't take away from the content, but um, and it certainly doesn't make it unlistenable, it's just it's a little bit... A little bit ropey and certain edits have to be made um but the like i say the content uh the controversy you know we had to uh clear with steven that some of the stuff could actually go out and um it's it's uh, quite exciting that we were able to do this first long form interview with steven gauntley so yeah consider this the equivalent of when WWE network puts on a warning saying that due to technical difficulties some of it had to be cut uh sometimes that's just bullshit and they cut it out for legal reasons or copyright reasons because they don't want to pay any money but uh no this is technically definitely an audio issue something that we're not used to on the show we're trying to make it the best quality possible but uh yeah i would say it's at, at about 90 percent audio where we're usually at about 70 percent nah i'm kidding right enjoy the show yay are you suffering from back pain well i've got the thing just for you 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case volume one available at amazon.com over 30 million americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment the vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book, you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him. Also check out the 5 star reviews on Amazon.com. This is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain. That's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 of us just in case volume 1 available at Amazon.com in paperback. Check the link below the show for more information. Oh my god. Who does he think he is? Come around here with his bloody podcast. Welcome to another episode of Turn Chuckle for the very first time brought to you by Grapple Arcade. I am Pablo and my compadre, co-host, lover, mother and pet. I don't know. Mark Fox. Hello. <laughs> Foxy from Grapple Arcade is here. Um, every, yeah. intro is, every intro is going to be that good. Um, so how are you doing? <laughs> 
Well, I was all right. I was fine. Until, until I called I you me mother. Intro, yeah. <laughs> now I'm running to the hills. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm good, mate. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Um, so as um, for those who don't know, um, we're going to do a long form interview as well. But I'm, um, I met Mark through uh, another radio show uh, locally through a mutual friend, and um, you know we we kind of hit it off because we have very similar things in common. We both can't shut up, um, and since then we've worked together on a few things, including the hands off merchandise uh, shows on the Grapple Arcade YouTube channel, um, and they've been going particularly well. Because uh, we're both just nerds, and you can find us there. Mm-hmm. Um, indeed, indeed. And Mark, you, uh, I shouldn't call you Mark, should I? This is Britain Kayfabe, Foxy. Um, <laughs> poor, poor shit, man. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, so Grapple Arcade does, uh, amongst other things, officially licensed um, WWE pay-per-view viewing uh, parties, and uh, you also have retro WWF, WCW wrestling game... Uh, stalls at conventions etc and do your own shows as well so can you go a little bit into that for the people indeed yes like you say we we've got um we work very closely with with our friends at um at um hooked on uh, hooked on wrestling and hooked on events in which we put on uh, different different well basically the big main pay-per-views the wwe pay-per-views you run out of a casino in newcastle but they run around the country as well so keep your eyes on the hooked on wrestling Facebook page for all the different events that we put on. The next one we're planning to do is at SummerSlam. Um, and there we do a lot of different things like fun uh, quizzes based on general knowledge, the history of wrestling, blah, 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 before we show the live feed. And we also run uh, a lot of um, wrestling-based retro video game events. So we do retro video game events in general. We've got a couple coming up quite soon, a couple of big conventions coming up, such as Right and Retro, which is in the Northeast. And that will be in May. And we've also got um, the big, big one called Nerg, which is a northeast retro gaming um, extravaganza, which is a Gateshead Stadium. And that's in July, I believe. And yeah, the, 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 both of them are fantastic uh, exhibitions. So the one at Right and Retro, we do a lot of different consoles, a lot of different retro games, um, different cartridges, etc., etc. With that, there's a hell of a lot of uh, arcade machines and pinball machines. Uh, you name it, it's going to be there. And with NERG, it's a, it's a large convention. We're expecting a couple of thousand people through the door, um, as we do every year. And we're specifically this year going to be, well, I should say specifically this year. For the last couple of years, we've run uh, wrestling tournaments on things like the N64, on things like No Mercy, on things like um, NWO Revenge. Um, but this year we've managed to construct a, a, a WrestleFest cabinet, uh, an original one. I'm which we're very, going to be very, very excited about that. Mm, yes, indeed. Us too. And yeah, we've managed to get hold of two now uh, over the space of uh, the last couple of months in terms of basically Frankenstein's monster pieces. <laughs> uh, but they are original motherboards and original marquees and made some donor cabinets and a bit of this and a bit of that, but they're all original machines and we're going to be running some tournaments on there and uh, a whole lot of fun prizes to be won Bray Wyatt Funhouse style. Beautiful. So and, it's going to be good. And there's, really a, good. A, video, and, um, there's a video on we, the Grab Lockheed. We run around the country as well. We run around the country doing different gaming events. So basically different exhibitions, different different events, whether it's after parties for wrestling events, whether it's conventions. They book us to come and uh, do some events. Uh, to sort of do an event at their event, if you like, such as for the love of wrestling, uh, we will be at the love of. Well, we will have been at the love of wrestling by the time you hear this. Yes. 
Um, it was a roaring, was, rip-roaring success. It was, it was bloody fantastic, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, oh, it was incredible. You should have seen them all playing <laughs> the games. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, we, we've been there and um, we do things such as that around the country. And, you know, there's, there's, there's much more to come in terms of events that we're going to be bashing out there. Absolutely. And we're going to be doing a lot more podcasts as well as YouTube content on uh, the Grab Lockhead YouTube channel. So all links will be below the show and we'll be keeping you well up to date with everything that's going on. But today's show um, is a pretty historic uh, show uh, where we have uh, interviewed... Uh, Stephen Gauntley, of uh, the former owner of one of the biggest British companies to ever come out of Britain, uh, England, United Kingdom, uh, Europe, even One uh, PW, um, and we and you're more the I, I very much liked One PW, but you are kind of the expert on One PW, and you were able to hook us up with this interview. And he doesn't do many; he hasn't done any for like about ten years. And uh, I think it's this true, is probably his most open and honest interview that he's ever conducted. It's one of the most honest and open interviews I've heard personally in a while that I've been involved in. Uh, I've been lucky enough to do a few over the years with different wrestling personalities and. Uh, I was speaking to Stephen through different means about something completely different, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, they, I didn't actually <laughs> realise it was him uh, <laughs> to start off with. Um, and he didn't mention it either. So it was quite candid in the way we were chatting. It was about something completely different, about different things that we've been working on. Um, and he mentioned that he's a big fan of uh, the, the concept that, that we run a grapple arcade with the, with the game and the wrestling combination. And it's, it's an interesting take on things. And... Uh, he happened to mention that he was involved in wrestling at one point himself, and I was like, "All oh, right, what were you doing?" He said, "I used to be a promoter." I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, oh yeah, all right, yeah, whatever." <laughs> you know, so did Barry, my next door neighbor, and so did uh, his wife Susan. You know, and um, so yeah, oh yeah, what was the crack? And he was like, "Oh, well, it was it was it just this company down south called One uh, PW." My name's Stephen Gauntley, and I was like, "Shut the front door, Steve." <laughs> all right, mate, how are you doing? Uh, fancy a chat. So yeah, that's how it went. But um, it was, re- you know, we were very, very pleased. He was happy to come and have a chat with us. Uh, he, he could have easily have said no, as he mentions himself. He has said no to quite a few in the past. So we're, we're honoured that people like to say yes, put it that way. And, and yeah. he was very open and honest with us through this conversation. And um, very humble, very intriguing. As well. yeah. Absolutely, yeah, man. I think people. It's going to be very interesting. I think a lot of people have formed opinions about Steve. You know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this. A lot of people have formed opinions about Stephen and 1PW. And I'll probably say myself included as a fan because you don't really know what's going on about other than what you read on the internet and stuff. So you hear about things and you hear snippets and some of it's obviously bollocks and some of it's potentially true. Who knows? Only the people involved know. Um, and you, you, you probably form opinions rightly or wrongly based on what you hear. And I think regardless of how things went within a wrestling promotion that you ran, People have possibly painted Stephen in a particular light based on what they've heard. Some people have possibly got uh, reason to do that because they've maybe worked with him and he's very honest about that in the interview about how he how he comes across and how he treats people. Yeah. Um, but I think what you can potentially take away from this is somebody who's very humble, as you say yourself, there's somebody who's very honest and open about um, their effect on other people and how... The wrestling business has affected him personally and the strains on him. It's, it's very insightful. And I wasn't expecting the level of detail he went into, and I'm, I'm 
gratefully did. Yeah, it was good. I think um, it was possibly beneficial to the interview that there were, from me and you, two very different viewpoints of fandom slash, you know, um, knowledge as well. So I was able to ask questions and learn stuff. And we, I think we all learned stuff. I think <laughs> you, you will all learn stuff as well. questions about Christian. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I didn't go for too far. Uh, you didn't, you didn't. I'm mocking I was good. I was good. Um, yeah. So yeah, no. So um, and we we weren't afraid to probe. You know, um, you know, we wanted this to be fun, um, but we also Indeed. we we were given kind of uh, to a point carte blanche to ask anything that we wanted. Um, he was great with that. Yeah, he, he very was, um, much. Uh, he was very open and honest. I'm, I'm aware as well that other people have got different opinions on different stories, and, and based on the fact that Stephen has said himself that. Other yeah. people have got different opinions on uh, things that have, you know happened within the wrestling business with one PW that, that differ from his opinion on how things went, which is which is fair. Everybody's got different opinions on different things, so it's it's going to be interesting to see um, to see how people take this. But I personally think it was one of the one of the most intriguing and, and insightful and honest yeah. and humble accounts from 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 somebody who we've interviewed. And and a bit of a disclaimer before we get into some uh, business and then the interview. Uh, we, you know, we're kind of finding our feet with this format. Um, mm -hmm. Slight technical difficulties. It doesn't affect the quality of the interview. Uh, and you may hear a cat uh, running around at one point. You know, this this yeah, show is course. this show is held together by sticky tape. Most podcasts are done from bedrooms. You know, um, <laughs> uh, so it, you know. And but I'm in the kitchen, all of you know. Well, there you go. Uh, well, that's why we got that wonderful uh, reverb. Um, that's why your voice totally was, sounds yeah. uh, so relaxing, you know. Um, so yeah, no. I so um, <laughs> so uh, before we get into the interview with Stephen, um, Turn Chuckle, the, there's going to be a bit of a change. You can find us on Podbean and on iTunes under Pablo's Pop and Podcast because I have another podcast where I interview actors, authors, musicians, etc. They will become two separate things finally, eventually. Um, and but with regards to Turn Chuckle uh, on Podbean or Pablo's Pop and Podcast on iTunes. I've interviewed uh, such names as Ahmed Johnson, Sam Houston, Dangerous Danny Davis, Jameson, Duke of Dumpsidrosi, uh, so classic names like that, as well as new names like Brian Pillman, Pillman Jr., David Starr, um, and many more. And names across the gamut, Todd Pettingill to, you know, uh, Ahmed Johnson, like I said. So um, if you want to subscribe, leave a five-star review and etc. I'd really, really appreciate that. Um, Pablo's Pop Podcast will continue as a separate thing. Turn Chuckle is going to be a mix of interviews with wrestling um, guests. There are lots of good names coming up and names that don't do many interviews as well. Um, myself and Foxy are going to have a weekly show uh, where we're going to be talking a, a, a large array of topics, um, largely retro related, but sort of in the new the news that you know what I mean and uh, we're gonna get we're gonna <laughs> get news. in the new news um and we're gonna get nerdy and we're gonna, talk, we're gonna talk merchandise we're gonna obviously talk new generation um and um yeah it's gonna be something hopefully a bit different as well and if you've watched any of the YouTube shows that are up at the moment uh, you can see that we don't shut up uh we get incredibly mm -hmm. nerdy and niche uh, but that's the way we like it um so it's probably worth just letting them know I suppose that we We've um, basically we've joined forces, you know, like, like the mega powers. Forces. Yeah, a bit like the mega powers. Yeah, we we'll hopefully won't explode when um, no, a I'll... cat gets between us or something like that. And, yeah, you know, 
I'll carry it backstage for medical treatment and you get all jealous. <laughs> Nothing like that. But it's it's um basically, you know, Pablo's been doing his um turn chuckle thing for a while now and it's 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 growing to what it is and it's uh I've been it's very a lucky podcast with lots way. of wrestlers on it. Yeah. Um been running the grapple arcade thing myself for a it'll be a year this April, so it's been going for a while. It's well, not not that not that long, but it's, it feels bloody decades long how long it's been going for. <laughs> and then together we uh, obviously constructed hands of the merchandise. So what we decided was just partner and just uh, join everything together under the umbrella. So, this is true. And yeah, old, we are what we are. Old turn chuckle episodes will be reworked without the intros and stuff, um, and will be a part of the uh, the grapple arcade umbrella as well. So a lot more news to come on that upcoming um before we get into it because we do have a sponsor um that you heard at the top of the show 15 show had tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case volume one available at amazon.com the show if you help support the book if you've got everyday back problems this is the book that you need uh it's also available on kindle as well your supporting of the book uh link below the show helps support the show because he basically gives me some money uh to help feed the cats <laughs> And it keeps the cats alive, basically. It so, does. like, and it keeps us on Podbean. So, like, you know, which uh, is only six quid a month. But you know, um, it, it, the the measure of success is if I can pay for it out of the sponsorship money, basically. Absolutely. Uh, so there may Absolutely. be a lot of wrestlers or maybe a lot of roadies or whatever who have got bad backs. So this is I, I, this is definitely the book that you need. He's a, a, a certified uh, doctor. He's uh, you know he's done lectures in all over the world. Uh, he has famous clients, like I said at the top of the show, like uh, members. of of the roots and DJ Jazzy Jeff and many more and he's amazing and um, couldn't do it without him. So yes, that's the that's the business out of the way. Um, enjoy the interview, um, a historic interview I would say uh, with one PW owner, Mr. Stephen Gauntley. Yeah, no, it's probably ten years to be honest. I've been asked a couple of times over the years and I've always I've always declined. I've really spent a lot of years. I think I was so traumatized by everything. Um, <laughs> that I just come, you know, I, I have, have declined, but I guess now is the time. And, uh, I guess it's time for my therapy. Oh, oh. I'm, honest, honestly, I'm humbled that you guys even want to talk to me. In fact, you know, if, if there's anything that I can add to this, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to talk, to be honest. It's, yeah, thanks, guys. So we're, we're, gonna, we're going to open up all the old wounds, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so, well, let's, I, I hate to do it in this kind of, like, sort of almost predictable interview format, but because you've never really done anything like this, I think it'll be a great way to, um, to start. So, being in the UK, what was your first exposure to wrestling? Um, yeah, well, as people, if anybody who followed one of you knows that I was so ignorant to British wrestling when I started in the wrestling business, so I, as a child, basically, I remember when Sky TV first came out and the first sort of satellite dishes came out. They were like big white satellite dishes in those days. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well. yeah, we got my mum got Sky and it was on Sky Movies and it was WrestleMania Five. I've never <laughs> seen wrestling. I've never known anything to do with wrestling. And I guess I, I, I'm trying to think. How, well, I was definitely well. I was young anyway, and I was absolutely transfixed by this show. Uh, and it's begun really what I would say is the love of my life, which has been wrestling. I mean, it's hurt me, but it's also loved me. Mm. <laughs> well, if I remember correctly as well, I've seen some adverts for WrestleMania Five on Sky. We didn't get it until like June. 
because um, it was like such a big deal. They didn't show it until like a couple of months later. It certainly wasn't immediately. Um, yeah. And I know that WrestleMania Six was like the first show after the uh, the British Sky Broadcasting merger happened. So that's why a lot of people remember that show. But people forget that WWF was on Sky in the 80s and they had that UK special from um, not the Albert Hall. It was in London, somewhere, London Arena um, that was shown on Sky One. And yes, yeah, Sky Movies showed a lot as well. And um, so like, did you collect, uh, did you collect the figures and everything back then? Oh, of course, I didn't ever uh, wrestling addict in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, Hasbro figures, definitely. Uh, still do, still do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I used to deal in, well, I, my company before 1PW was like a wrestling figure company. Um, it was so one was of games, wasn't it? Of, of the, yeah, yeah, we even had a, um, we had a Jack, because it was Jack Specific that the license then, and we had a Jack Specific exclusive William Regal made. I have so that figure. Legged myself up really. It sounds so glamorous when I say, Yeah, we picked the fade sculpture, we picked all the accessories, and but I bet I missed that by 5,000 of the bloody things. Um, I think I've still got like 10 of them. Brilliant, <laughs> right? We'll, we'll keep one aside, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, I, I very much remember. I, I, were you a part of like before we get into it because I knew this would like venture into figures at some point, so like I remember there being a um. Uh, uh, like a poll on which regal costume um, you wanted, and I, I remember a real ma man's man with a helmet was a choice. Like, was that was that a worked poll, or was it like? Mm, trying to think. No, we genuinely did have even a load of options from Jacks, and um, we didn't. I'm sure. I'm sure it was legit. I mean, I'm trying to really remember now exactly what happened. But yeah, no, we had a bunch of options. I think we went for. I'm sure you thought born you know, or something. Yeah, it was quite the current uh, gear, and he had a black eye and everything. And uh, I love the box for it as well. Like I, sh I got one signed off Regal at a show uh, right. a couple of years ago. But yeah, no, I, I, the the great figure. It's great that you had that exclusive. Like I say, it sounds so glamorous, but it really did like me up to be back. I probably lost a fortune on it, but <laughs> things were so like. It was such a juggernaut that it's hard to even describe now, and it's surreal describing it, but that was probably a drop in the ocean of what was going on there, and that's a major amount of money. And I didn't, you know, so yeah, I probably lost a fortune on that, on that figure, but. Well, oh, well I, that's the first scar, that's the first wound opened. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's all right, guys, I'm over it now. I've got a box of plasters from there. <laughs> so, so um obviously you watched wrestling growing up then so was uh what was the first show you went to was it a wwf show yeah i'm, I'm a bit hazy over the years because lots happened in my life i'm about to turn 40 so just bear with me <laughs> now try and get inside the brain here yeah it was well they were at sheffield arena when they used to come there mm -hmm. And I don't know if it would have been 90 or 89, but it, I, I distinctly remember Andre the Giant being in the Bushbacker's Corner. That sounds like 91. Because like, um, I'm, I'm a nerd. So. There might have been one before that. 
I, I really can't remember now. I'm, but I saw everybody that I wanted to see in that era. I saw across like three or four house shows in that period. I tell you um, what, did you yeah. did Andre wrestle on one of these shows? Because there were pictures recently that surfaced of a '91 tour where Andre teamed up with like either the Rockers or the Bushwhackers to take on the Orient Express and Mr. Fuji, and that like blew my mind that Andre had a WWF match in '91. Or is, is this like completely? Hazy at this point. Oh uh, no, he, he was in he was in the he was in the corner of the bushwhackers. I'm sure he did a house tour loop doing that. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah he's, he's a bit hazy, but he's definitely there. Mm. Yeah, um, I think he was there uh, around that time with the bushwhackers. He was on crutches quite a lot, wasn't he? From a village, right? Yeah, he was. Mm. Yeah, he was meant to be. Well, I don't want to get off topic too. He was meant to be in the rumble that year, and uh, he had another legit leg injury, and it just yeah. it was never gonna never gonna happen for him. But obviously, since he lived in France, making it over to the UK was a pretty easy. Uh, pretty easy trip from, and the, probably the only shows where he and the Undertaker were on the same show, as well. Um, oh, yeah, like advertised on the same poster and stuff like that. So, like, so did you continue to just love wrestling throughout its? Because if you get into it in '89 with all the big names and everything, did you continue to love it through like the new generation era with all the more sort of uh, uh, occupation gimmicks, like uh, you know? The... Yeah, I did. I was, I was, I was really, really super into wrestling. I was a super wrestling nerd, uh, and I. Um... I, I probably the only time, funnily enough, I think it was probably like late '96 that I sort of stopped watching for a period of about a year and a half. But that was because of the age I was, and like I said, kind of got into drinking and etc. Um, and we, we, me and my friends, would be you know drinking on the weekend. And one night we were flicking through, and we, I think it's just a standard story that everyone at a certain age could tell. We're flicking through the channels and we see someone called Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. Yeah. And we're like, this is not the wrestling. They <laughs> seem to change so much in such a short span. Uh, and I was, then I was completely hooked, even more so than in my childhood. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what it was specifically that like made you get hooked again? Like, was it a certain scene or a match or... It, it was it was that rivalry with Austin and McMahon, I think, and just the wildness of the. It was just so different to what we remember. And I was, I was WCW as well. Yeah. Like when I used to watch WWF when I was younger, I remember the WCW videotapes coming out in the UK. Yeah. And I was fascinated by that. I used to go get have a subscription in the paper shop and get all the aftermags delivered. <laughs> I'm the official W. I used to get. Oh man, I was crazy. You could it. get aftermags from your paper shop. Yeah. Like, well, they were like P PWI, and um, there was one called Wrestle America. I don't know if that's <laughs> an aftermath. It's that similar kind of thing where it's supporting the fictional canon. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I love Those mags were great as well because they were unofficial as hell. And, like, let's say they talked about sort of. Um, I don't know, Lex Luger and Yokozuna, their feud, they would use like a WCW picture of Lex Luger and like a picture of Yokozuna in a restaurant or an airport or something like that. They couldn't get like the official licensed yeah. photographs, so they would use like all sorts of pictures, which was always... Um, always I'll tell you one thing that um, I remember from going to uh, the Whitley Bay house show with me, you've chatted out with Paul Paul, I think it was uh, very, very late in 93, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. September '93, there was a Whitley Bay, and one thing I remember vividly was a group of people stood outside of the ice rink, handing out flyers, warning everybody not to watch wrestling because of the fact that Sting stabbed Arn Anderson in the hotel. Room, <laughs> 
They used that. They used that. I, well, I, I remember getting loads of them and photocopying them on my dad's fax machine and <laughs> handing them out at school the next day and getting detention for it because I was inciting violence. Apparently. I'll never forget it. It was just on the back of going to a swimming gala thing. Anyway, so, yeah, we, um, <laughs> these people were handing out these clients, uh, warning people not to watch wrestling as they were about to go into the arena to watch the WWF. And that was when it was Yorkville University Undertaker uh, match and Savage versus HBK. Cracking, cracking show. But yeah, I just remember that distinctly. Yeah, just unofficial people handing out unofficial flyers, warning people about the horrors of wrestling, using real pictures of Sid Vicious and, and Anne Anderson. <laughs> they just took them to a flyer, telling people not to watch it because of the stabbing. Brilliant. That's amazing. So, like, how far did the um, sort of addiction, fandom, etc. As as a teenager, did it ever get too far? Did your parents go, oh, you got to stop watching that wrestling garbage? Or or did they, did you even show them stuff in the Attitude Era? Because like, I think my parents would have like died of embarrassment if I'd have showed them like Mae Young giving birth to a hand, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think my dad was... All, my, well, you'll probably... As we get into the one PW story, my dad was always like a secret wrestling fan, I think, even though he said that he wasn't. But I remember, um, I don't really think he thought too much of the Attitude Era, but the, the memory I've got is sort of slightly different answer to that is when I got the WCW tapes and Bobby Eaton did the top rope left drop, the Alabama Jam, I remember me and my dad like rewinding, watching it, rewinding it, watching it, going, this is like Hulk Hogan's move, but it's like off the top <laughs> rope. And it absolutely blew our minds. You could, I mean, thinking about that in the context of modern era athletic wrestling yeah. it, it's it's crazy to think of the change in the art form but yeah that was that's the memory i've got from my from the earlier days of something that i sort of shared with my dad embarrassing but beautiful bobby eaton well people uh, forget yeah. as well how like more accessible the wcw stuff was back then because it was on itv so you didn't have to pay for it um the videos were cheaper than the wwf videos and even the figures <coughs> were cheaper as well um so i mean i remember as a kid probably every week I would get a new figure or something yeah, like that. Cause, you know. Those are the Galoob figures. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they make good weapons if you hit them off your friend because they're like just solid. You know. <laughs> yeah. I got chews as well. My dog went crackers on a Lex Luger. But, uh, but, um, but uh, yeah, I think they, were, they were just solid. They were door stops. They were everything. My yeah. daughter's got two of them in a toy box now, which she just smashes the figures. <coughs> I'm fine with her doing that. She can take them in the back as well. It's just, you know. <laughs> I think the best one was the El Gigante. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and they made him to scale as well. He was huge, and he had his arms in the air. And the the only thing was, it made him them impossible to do a lot of moves. But Arn Anderson was in like a wrestling Very position. Stick them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's it's kind of weird that like sort of. Between the Attitude Era and 1PW kind of starting, there's really not that much time difference, no. really. So, I mean, when, um, what kind of spurred you on to actually start a company? Because, that, I mean, that couldn't have been taken lightly, that decision. Right. Well, to give you an idea just from the Attitude Era, this is how much of a super fan I became. And it shows my age as well, because it's like the internet was out, but you were dialed in your house. Yeah. So I would, and we didn't have internet in my house. I don't, I, this must be like 98. I would get a bus into Doncaster Town to an internet cafe <laughs> where I would pay to go on a computer. I would pay to print off all the raw results, all the SmackDown results, loads of different columns and things. 
print them all off, staple them up in the internet cafe, and that would be my allowed material for the week to, to bottle on and know. I became absolutely fascinated at that age with the way I, the way everything was put together and produced and booked and that aspect of the business. Um, and then I was just a super fan. I just um, it never faded. Uh, and yeah, well, it's two thousand four that we opened our wrestling shop. Yeah. Um, two thousand five would be October two thousand five. Did the first show. So going back a little bit, in terms of when you talk about the production, because that is, in terms of critiquing your show now, that is one, and like I would never critique the wrestlers because like I'm I'm not even remotely athletic, you know what I mean? But like in terms of like production and stuff, I I do sort of critique it if it's not to my taste. And I know that, you know, everyone's, everyone's a critic and stuff like that. But what kind of um, flip, flip the switch for you in terms of like, did you do media at college or anything like that? Or was it kind of, were you reading like the, uh, the Melter mags or whatever at that point? No, I, um, well, I dropped out of university. Yeah. That's... Yeah, twice. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was my education. Uh, no, I um, I was just absolutely obsessed with it. I've always been really creatively minded, mm-hmm. um, and we just ended up with this business that we built from nothing, and it ended up being a really success. I don't think there was much in the way of. We used to get people to turn up our shop from all over the country just because there was nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just absolutely obsessed. Yeah, I'm sure I subscribed to the, um, what's it called, Dave Meltzer's news. The Observer, um, yeah. Wrestling Observer. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, although I was obsessed, we didn't actually have a clue how any of it truly was put together. You know, people, when they're fans, they think, they, they think they're a super fan and they think they know, but they don't really know at all. And I didn't have a clue, to be honest. I was just completely oblivious to it all when I started. So you you started with the with the store first. So what happened then? Did you like sort of did you have to get out alone or whatever? And like what connections did you make? Did you go straight to Jack Specific at the time or? Um, well, the theatre came after we were already promoting. Oh okay okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of that, well, I, there was a one PW book. I'm sure you'll probably get to that later. But in in that, I did tell this story that. The reason and how we came to do the first show was so we had this job we started that from nothing. Um, and it was doing really, really well. I think we had like probably had like six staff. Um, and I'm I am and I've always been a complete work freak, so I was working constantly and drive, driving it all forward. And my dad was quite involved in the business just because he, he loved to see I guess he loved to see me doing something that I loved and being, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. quote unquote successful uh, and he one day just said son um, could you do a wrestling show it was just like one of those random questions and I was like mm, yeah I guess and he said what would it take to do a wrestling show and I was like um, let me come back to you tomorrow so I think about it and I came back and I said well we need and this was literally I'd be like well we need a ring we'd need somewhere to run and that was it and then we were like okay well we've got you know, we've got X amount of money here. So between me and my dad, can we raise the other money that we need? I think we came up with a ridiculous figure, like 50 grand to put on a show. Bloody hell. Right, OK. <laughs> um, <laughs> bear, in mind, bear in mind how long ago this is and everything that I've been through since. So 
I'm trying my best to remember for you guys. And I've, no, no, no. I've got sort of no preconceived time prepared for this at all. I've not jogged my memory in any way. I just thought, let's go in cold. Oh, whatever so. dark skeletons. And... <laughs> the best way, man, the best way. <laughs> so, I mean, the, what was the local... Because it's kind of odd that like uh, someone would um, run a show but not necessarily have like a wrestling school to have the talent. So was there like a scene going around at the time where the other shows being put on or...? Um, yeah, I, I did, before we did the first show, I went to a few shows by IPW UK, mm-hmm. and I went to a couple of shows, I'm sure they were promoted by Brad Flash, yeah. in like Swinton or Rotherham or something. Yeah. We may have gone to a, oh, I can't, it's did, 3CW show. Yeah. Did you go to like the FWA shows as well? Oh. Didn't go to any FWA shows, no. In fact, oh yeah, that's it, I went to a show promoted by Alex Shane called uh, International Showdown. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when when I went to that show, we had already had this idea to do a show. We'd already put the money together and started to plan it. And I guess I went to this show sort of thinking, well, this is a big wrestling show with imports. I wonder how... And I, I'd not heard of Alex either. That's no disrespect to him, because I've not heard of anybody. Yeah. I, I, just, I just went in completely cold. Mm-hmm. So did you... Um... Were you familiar with the uh, the wrestling show on uh, TalkSport at the time, hosted by Alex Shane? No, no I never heard of it. Oh, see, that was my first exposure to him as well, and um, that's how the FWA got on Bravo and stuff like that. And um, like that's, I think Eddie Guerrero came over and uh, Grandmaster Sexy and stuff. I mean, it seems really primitive at the time now, but that was like everything, like Jody Fleisch and all those kind of names. That yeah, that was huge, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah, that's sort of 2005 time frame was absolutely huge for British wrestling there was so much happening yeah. there was so much potential and then all of a sudden really exciting uh, wrestlers were interested in coming over to the UK to put shows on and as a fan again I was somebody who wasn't huge on the British scene as that you know when I was around that sort of era I wasn't very much aware of it apart from what was going on up here really um, but People willing to come over, such as names that you've mentioned there, was was big news in Putin back then. It was huge. Yeah, it really was. So, I mean, uh, for the first show then, um, did you just stay local or did you bring in uh, international talent? For that first show, it all got a bit crazy before it even began. I guess I probably reached out to a few people who I'm not I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. basically I were in contact with a couple of people including a chap called Kingdom James who's uh, he's from Toronto mm-hmm. and he put me in touch with a couple of other people I was speaking to a Dutch guy called Rick Peters I guess that anybody who was in this sort of circle of communication had got sort of a, an inkling that something was happening that there's this kid because I was a kid I would be probably I don't know, 24, 25? Yeah. And there's like, here's this kid, he's got a business already, he's so he's really green and he's saying he wants to do a show and he's saying he's got the money to do it. So I guess I had a million people instantly seeking me out, giving me <laughs> advice, telling me what was best and what wasn't best. And Alex Shane was one of those people as well. There were like so many, and I didn't have a clue about any of this, so I, I would have people saying already playing these political games like someone would say to me, oh, don't listen to that guy because he's this. <laughs> and it would 
it was already a complete tornado, and I didn't know really right from wrong, to be honest. I just knew the vision that I had, that I wanted to create. It was probably better that I was an outsider to the scene, in a way, because it meant I could come in a totally fresh take, take on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So in, in like a couple of sentences, what was the original sort of premise for um for one PW? What did you want to achieve? What was your vision? Yeah. We wanted to be the biggest, best, most revolutionary thing anybody had ever seen in England. <laughs> that was I know, I know set your thoughts so full. That's what we, honestly that was the vision, that was the goal to be to talk. I think we had a slogan, it was like, British wrestling reinvented, which I know rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way, and in retrospect, I can see how it did. But that was genuinely what I wanted to do. We just wanted to blow everything else that was there completely clean out of the water, and we didn't just want to do that. We wanted to be the best indie promotion in the world. That's genuinely the goal and what we wanted to achieve. Well, this is why I give 1PW so much credit, because there was that kind of rebirth of British wrestling at that time, but it didn't really take off as it could have, like as much as it has now. And 1PW really seemed like the thing to, to me at least, to really get to that next level to get where we are now. So, I mean, I, you know, I would happily say that British wrestling, like strictly in this country, and I'm not talking WWE UK, like wouldn't be where it's at without a company like 1PW. Thank you. Um, it's absolutely true. I mean, you have your finger on the pulse and you're willing to push the button. I was willing to do, and I know there's people and a few people that will hear this, and I know what the reaction will be now saying that I'm an egomaniac, but I was willing to take the fucking giant gamble just like I've done my whole life. I was willing to put it all on the line every time. That's how you do something that people remember, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, oh, sorry, go for it. Go for no, it's all right, mate. I was going to say, going into, well, so what was the first show? It was October, I'm guessing, wasn't it, for Cruel Fist of Fate? Is that That's correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was obviously in Donny, Sky Dome. Um, so, in terms of how you went about booking this first card then, Stephen, was the case of, right, we know who we're planning to get from the UK because that's an easier way to approach people because the the yeah. house around here, and then from there you start picking up which which uh, which uh, international talent you wanted, and was it a case of well I really want them because I'm a fan of them, or was it because of well if we book that person we can get that person over at the same time, or how did that come about with that, especially with that first show because I mean, yeah. it's just a, a massive open door. I think with the first show, what, what it was, the idea of the lineup, and this is going back to what I answered the previous question, that we wanted to create a lineup that was not just like something that was the biggest thing in England. We wanted to create an, an independent show lineup that people all over the world would look at and think that's something special. So this was when TNA was sort of in its cool, cool period. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Was. So we were working with them, so we got. We basically had the pick of anyone we wanted from TNA because I guess money talks and we had the money to book whoever we wanted. So we picked, you know, like um, who we wanted from TNA. Uh, and then I, this was around the time that the WWE had done the ECW One Night Stand event. Yeah. yeah. And I know that there'd been politics out there. They couldn't book 
some wrestlers do, do another one, aren't they? Like, where Shane comes from as well. Yeah, the hardcore right. homecoming, was it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit sketchy, isn't it, because it's so long ago. But, <laughs> so, but we were able to book wrestlers that had appeared on both shows. So we would be able to, in my mind, it was like, well, we, we can do a lineup of these to guys. WWE couldn't even put together. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we, got, we had Tommy Dreamer, and I'm sure he worked in the WWE office at the time. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. So, I mean, uh, with 1PW then, um, starting out, like, I find that wrestling companies at the time, it doesn't happen so much now, and I think wrestling's generally better for it in this country, um, that companies were trying to base their reputation on a style of wrestling, but I think that, like, boxes them in a bit too much. So, like, in yeah. terms of styles of wrestling, was it you wanted everything from, like, the, the big indie names to former WWE talent to current TNA, but to UK names and all styles of wrestling. Did you want, like, who was the target audience? Was it the families or was it, like, the hardcore fans? No, this was, well, to me, this was marketed to, to people like myself. It was marketed to people who, who knew wrestling, uh, who were fans of, I think, yeah, this is it. It was really marketed to, it wasn't marketed to, like, super, the super wrestling fandom. I want, we wanted to market it to that kind of wrestling fan that wasn't exposed to indie wrestling. Yeah. That knew of, that was like a super fan, but only a super fan of the big product. Mm-hmm. And I think that has actually held true in time because there's a lot of people who, to this, like, I, I feel old because I was, I was talking to a promoter recently who said to me, oh, I used to go to your shows when I was 13. Um, and <laughs> Does I that make you feel old? interested in promoting from going to 1PW. So not only did it make me feel ancient, yeah. <laughs> it kind of proved that, you know, that it did expose a, a big audience to, and then obviously it exposed them to the British talent. People said we didn't do anything for the British talent, but I, uh, I think time suggests otherwise, really. So, yeah, uh, early on, because uh, it is wrestling, and you're going to get some of the harshest critics ever. Like, um, what was the feedback like on on the first show in particular? Like, did you go straight online, or did was it reported in um, dirt sheets and stuff like that? Or there was at the time it was on forums. Oh, of course, yeah. Even, yeah. It's so old that I don't even think there was a Facebook or anything back then. Yeah. Um. And we used to get obviously the thing with one PW straight off the bat is there was a we had a we instantly seemed to have a really sort of voracious kind of passionate fan base instantly who who were kind of would blindly follow it that, that kind of thing and I was so immature and bought into it all I was the biggest one PW fan of all but then it rubbed some people up the wrong way so there was like a vocal small group of people online that would hate everything 1PW did. They, they would hate it, and anything I said was wrong. Uh, and it created that friction instantly, so there was always that sort of mixed feeling about it, if you know what I mean. I mean, 1PW... In, sorry, go for it, Sal. It's all right. It's all right. I was just going to say, in hindsight, do you think that was possibly a good thing? The fact that there was so much sort of, like, love or hate were here, and people were talking regardless. Well, at the time, it was really painful, but in retrospect, yeah. yeah. as, as you look at it and take, take the whole picture into account, um, people were talking about that promotion. You can't, no one can deny that. And Absolutely. people remember it. Yeah. Actually. Absolutely. But we're talking about it in, in uh, yeah, exactly. right now, so. So, um,. Did because to me one PW always seemed to like to, you know I, if people disagree fair enough but like to me and to friends one PW seemed to be 
have a good connection with its fans and sort of uh, keep up the communication and stuff like that. But did that kind of when you would get like the harsh criticism and stuff like that? I mean, if a wrestler couldn't show up or something like that, did that kind of make you want to back off from being so open with the fans? Or? Well, bear in mind that the people that were the critics of One PW didn't come to One PW shows, right, so they okay. weren't our customers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the people who were our customers, and I, I was so blindly dependent of that company that I really was like, I can't believe that that was me now in retrospect at this age, because as I look back at how I acted then, it took me along for the ride more than anybody, and I was so passionate, and we were genuinely open with our fan base and we were that you know like we have the shop people could come and see us in the in the week they could come and directly come and talk to me um yeah we were really open with people i never regretted that i just, i absolutely used to love our fans yeah um it's interesting thinking back because um i was there quite i went to a number of shows around probably starting in 2006 i think i went to a couple of shows back then it was the first um it was the first company that had travelled outside of the northeast region to go and see that wasn't a big touring WWE or whatever, you know. And it was the first company that myself and a group of mates thought, right, let's go and ship this out. Because, as you say, you were booking names that were interested in you. Were booking, you were booking wrestlers that we we were aware of, that we'd seen in the 90s, who were still relevant to whatever extension. And, and you guys and girls that we had never seen before. Um, but we were aware of the indie, indie movement, so to speak. And what was interesting for a lot of people, I think, um, at least that I know of, that one PW felt like a bigger than average company to a fan who was watching it because of who you were booking and the size of the venues and the fact that you were steadily getting between 12 and 1,500 people in, you know, for the few bigger shows and stuff. Um, but you and the team were very accessible. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it wasn't like a hidden wall. Every Everybody, we, we could come and chat to you. Even, even the fact that at, at the events, these big name wrestlers who, who we all were fans of were just happily walking around the venues before and after chatting with fans in general. There wasn't this whole, you know, it wasn't it wasn't protected in the typical protection way if that makes sense. It was like you know here let's let's do this kind of thing let's 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 chat. Yeah, I think I think that was part of well. There's two components to that. The first is that that was an intentional thing that we obviously we protect the business in terms of yeah yeah that aspect. But we did want it to be yeah it was although it was a big bigger than average promotion. It was still very DIY and mm-hmm. it was just me and my family that created this company with supporters from fantastic people around us and a lot of fans ended up becoming involved and, and ended up in the business themselves years later mm-hmm. through it but the other aspect obviously is the wrestlers used to love it because that was some of the best gimmick money going at the time mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on the tables that was a hot ticket man oh, absolutely um, and you know it, it, like Mark it was Really, the only show wrestling shows that I travelled outside of the northeast to see as well, which uh, you know I, I always looked forward to. It. And if you know, even before the show, I loved that there were uh, some proper good vendors as well selling some collectibles. Yeah, that was probably us. <laughs> That's a very good point. So um, you get micromanaged as well. So like those, we would sell all the old magazines and everything, and I would scour eBay looking for them, and I would even be there 
the week before, you know, back in the month, making sure everything. Our super micro managed to a, to a, a fault, really, to be yeah. honest. Um, so in terms of your DVD production side, I mean, who's, was that your idea then? And how big of a mission was that? Cause it, you know, it had to be harder then than now. And it's not exactly easy now to have your own DVD production facility and everything. Or did you go through another company? Yeah, we had a lot of problems with that side of things. I mean, that would be a whole podcast in itself, but just to give you the sort of brief, brief sort of version. We started out, the first show I think was filmed by the Dutch guys, Rick Peters' friend, and we weren't quite happy with the production quality there because we bear in mind the expense, how expensive the shows were. Yeah. And in, and in those days, there was no, well, we did do something later on on the internet, but there was no like video on demand, etc. In, in the very beginning. It was all a DVD-centric kind of business, like the ROH type of model, I guess, mm. back then. Uh, so then we swapped into a local company that were a big production company uh, that did worked in, not in wrestling. And they had supposedly made, but then we had a lot of problems with them. And we ended up there, they taped a show and it wasn't quite right. And always in the business model, the goal, which we had spoken to at the very beginning, um, it sounds archaic now, and it doesn't sound like much now, but at the time it was a major deal that our goal was to get retail distribution for our content. So we were trying to get, and we had sort of a tentative agreement with HMV, yeah. uh, which again sounds nothing now, I'm sure that you know, but at the time this was going to be a massive deal to get these DVDs certified and available for sale in shops up and down the country. And so we were working towards that, but we had a lot of problems that delayed that. Like we, we would have got, we did eventually do that, uh, but we would have been ahead by about nine months if we did not have had so many problems with the production uh, on that end. Um, and it was one of the things ultimately that sort of, you know, messed things up in a way because we really needed to get that deal in place quicker than we did, uh, and it kind of came a bit too late, really. Don't you go too far ahead, Stephen? What, what, when was it that you um, that you moved on from 1PW? Sorry, I'm just trying to spell get a timeline right with the events that happened. I left. What was your last show? <laughs> it was a show in the Granby Working Men's Club in Edlington, and it was called Working Man's Blues. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, yeah. More yeah, and I had the blues for real. And this was in, uh, I think... Someone will correct me, but I'm sure it was something like July 2008. Yeah, it was July 19th, 2008. Yeah. So and, yeah, as, as things picked up then, because obviously you had the big shows, so you were doing a lot of... Were you doing more smaller shows as well, just to like, keep the business going sort of thing? Uh, no, we, we started doing the small shows in like hmm, 2007. And the small shows, to be honest, were... Like it, it was just a way to sort of. We, we launched the training school as well, which was massively successful. I was going to ask about that, yeah, yeah. So it was a way to bring on talent. I became really, really fascinated by it, and still to this day, I would say, not that I mean, like, that was my favorite thing was developing talent and taking them from level A to level B. Uh, and bring, bringing talent on and introducing them into the show. So the smaller shows were a way to be able to do that without obviously diluting 
more diluted than what we were doing on the bigger shows, really. Yeah. And we did, the, the smaller shows were quite profitable compared to. So how much more involved with you were you with those shows, or did you kind of leave that to whoever the trainer was? Or um, no, well, originally, just originally, one PW, I was sort of running the entire company uh, and overseeing everything, every department. I was just sort of the head of everything, and we would have a specific person charge of what you would call a booker. Or yeah. a writer. So in the first early shows, it was Kingdom James did that job. So I appreciate that he had an impossible task because he reported to and worked under me, and I was like the worst boss possible for anyone because I'm a micromanager, and I would be so interfering in it, uh, and I just wouldn't leave him alone to do the job. So eventually, he left, and he was replaced by Steve Carino. Now Steve. I learned so, so much from him. It's unbelievable what I learned from him. If you plotted a graph of my wrestling source, you know, learning curve, it would go straight up in a line as soon as I started working with him. Um, really think a lot of the guy. We haven't spoke for a lot of years. I think there's probably some issue between us, but I, uh, I genuinely loved working with the guy. But again, he probably found me to be quite an impossible boss. Uh, and ultimately, when I fell out with Steve, which would be in, like, in January, I want to say 2007, <laughs> I just decided, uh, well, I'll do that job myself. And so for the remainder of the period, for the next year and a half, basically, I was the booker. So did you, well, you just mentioned there the, the, the falling out of touch. I'm guessing the last event he'll have been part of will have been the Fight Club 4 in November. That's right. That's right. January was the Will Not Die um, main event, which was after some cancellations, yeah? Does that sound about right? Yeah, we went bankrupt and then we, we became bankrupt. Right. I wasn't quite sure of that, whether it was still with Carino. <laughs> what the crap was that? Right. So you went bankrupt and became bankrupt and thought, right, let's crack on. <laughs> when, well, I'll just tell the story from my perspective. Yeah, of course. Obviously, of course. you know what they say? They say each man speaks the story, and in the middle lays the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? So this is my truth. Now, people might have heard somebody else's truth, but this is my truth. So the real story probably lays somewhere in the middle, but this is my truth. But we we completely ran out of money. We were in the absolute... I ended up losing my house through 1PW. This is what happened to me. And we were in a situation where we were in in the dire, dire shit. I just sacked all my staff. We really did go. We filed in for um, bankruptcy or, or whatever it was called, the official name for it. And we had the show booked with Great Mooter versus uh, Sterling James Keenan, who are known as Corey Graves now. And I didn't know what to do at all, so I approached Dan Richardson, who people probably know as Dragon Eye who I think he's a promoter of Defiant Wrestling now in fact he is isn't he yeah yeah um, so and I approached him and basically set up the situation we, we came up with a deal where they could him and the guys from 3CW could sort of step in I'm not going to go into all the sort of details because no, no. it's a whole show on its own but mm-hmm. they would step in and sort of make sure the show happened and we would provide support and we would give them you know 
remainder of the tickets to sell. It was, it was sort of divided up. So, so this show happened, but then a week before, this is the crux that sort of the where I say each man's peep is true, because a week before that show took place, I, and I mean, people never believed this at the time, but this is what occurred. We were approached by somebody who basically said, um, I want to invest in one people who uh, so I was like, okay, right. And also at that time, the H&B deal, ironically, finally was put in place like the week before this show. So we knew that this deal was worth X amount of money. So I approached ISO and said, look, I don't know what to do because you guys are now promoting this show. Me and my crew are going to be there on the day to help you as we've agreed. But I'm, I'm not leaving and this is what's happening. Um, and he's like, well, don't tell anybody, and we'll just push forward. Uh, and the show, the show happened, and then obviously a couple of days later, I announced that I was actually coming back. It was all spun that I created this as some kind of Machiavellian master plan to, to get out of putting this show on. But that <laughs> night, that show broke my heart, absolutely destroyed me. Um, so who's, and, who spun it? Who uh, told the lies at the time? Like, was it the forums and whatnot? Or... Say again, sorry. It's like the forums, the people just chatting, like it was the so called, the non fans, if you like. Is, it the, is that who put much spin on this? Yeah, I think, I think there were a lot of people in the business that were waiting okay. for me to fall. Really? Rightfully so, to be honest. Um, Why'd you say that? Well, I don't. That's that's just how it was, honestly, from day one. I think the fact that I can see it from their perspective, the fact that we came in as the, the top promotion, I think that really pissed a lot of people off. And the way I acted definitely pissed a lot of people off. <laughs> and, and I own that, mate. I truly own that. I was severely out of order. Right. Uh, it all ran away with me, and I, believe, I was the biggest one to be fan of all. Um, yeah, so... I think I took my part in it. So, were you was one PW your full time job then, and one of games? Like there was no other way to support, like financially, what you were doing, or? Yeah, no, that was my full time job from two, early two thousand and four until when I left uh, in June, whenever it was two thousand and eight. Was the shop still running alongside at this point, Steve? No, when we did when the Will Not Die show happened, yeah. when we were went bankrupt, the shop closed. We right. one of games went bankrupt. We ended right. up, okay. yeah, we lost all the stock. We lost that side of the business. So then, when we relaunched, I didn't have the offices. We just relaunched a bit more of a streamlined company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in effect working out of my house, and we used to have meetings every week at the dome with the mm-hmm. sort of core group of people who were around me. And weirdly enough, those shows were stripped down from what had been in that first year, which is how I like to remember one people you that first year. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, those shows after that were my favourite creatively, and they were the shows that we created the best content and give the best platform for British talent, I think. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. From, from like a, again, a wrestling fan's point of view, like an outsider's point of view, um, that first year was almost like setting the scene with the with the import TNA names, and then that second year was 
the the more like right we're here now this is who we are this is what we're about and this is, the, this is our roster rather yeah. than if that makes sense it's yeah. more like it's more like a roster then rather than a kind of chores. and I mean you know you know you can it's easy for anybody to say in hindsight but if I you know it's that if I'd have known what I knew because the learning curve was so steep yeah. if I'd have known what I knew a year eighteen months into the game if I'd have known that at day one things probably would have turned out a hell of a lot differently because I would have had that model from day one. It kind of took me the first six months to sort of realise what what we had, what was going on, and to really start... I mean, people said we didn't start pushing the British talent until that, that period. But if you look at a show like uh, the Know Your Enemy shows in 2006 where Johnny Storm and Jody Flash won the tag team tournament, won the tag champs, and we were like the squad, we were pushing him... Uh, we first, I saw Pac on a show and I was adamant I wanted to get him featured on the shows and we did Pac versus AJ Styles. Yeah. Um, we really were focusing on British talent. I just wish I'd have got that focus just that little bit sooner. No, absolutely. So, a bit of two-part question. Um, were there any... Did your stuff ever get shown on the wrestling channel at the time? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, we did. We produced a show uh, for the wrestling channel. This is where I give. Oh, a forgi- shout out forgive Adam. me, because I didn't have the channel at the time, so I just saw whatever I went to a friend's to see. So I didn't get to see as nearly as much as I would like to have. So. Yeah, well, this is where I give a shout out to Adam Curtis and obviously Brett Stedman because uh, I know they'll be listening, and they were the poor unfortunate souls who were tasked with producing the Bunkin' WTV for the wrestling channel. Right. <laughs> and I give those two jobs and set them on a shoestring budget. <laughs> um, but we had, they had amazing content to draw from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the matches. And they produced all the filler, you know, the links and everything. And the show, I think, did tremendous numbers. And this is what I was like in them days. And I can't, like, like so we would get the first report in and I was expecting, and they said, oh, you had... 0.001, so you've been at one pound or nothing. So obviously any any rational-minded business person, if they were unhappy with that report, would go to the person who produced it or the company and speak to the person and discuss it. Yeah. But Stephen Gortley in 2006 was not a rational-minded business person. He was a, a maniac. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't. Even, it's hard for me to connect with that person. Do you, fe- do you feel though that if you weren't just an absolute maniac at the time, that you wouldn't have taken the jump into actually opening a wrestling company and going as far as you did? Would you feel yeah, that? No, mate, you've got to take it all, man. With with me, that's it. It's, it's feel like <laughs> all the things that I did wrong, as big of a maniac as I was, yeah. as, as much criticism as people gave me, that part of me is the exact same part that is the kind of person who would make that thing in the first place so it wouldn't yeah. have existed if I wasn't so insane mm-hmm. so yeah. with TV exposure and in the arenas and stuff like that did or, or especially the TV exposure did advertising uh, adverts during the show did that help sustain the company as well or, or sponsorships or anything like that well, the wrestling channel, that to conclude the story, instead of doing what I said a rational business person would do, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I just instantly cancelled the show, went on our fan forum and said, oh, to paraphrase, the fucking wrestling channel are a bunch of dickheads, they, they like to us, blah, 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 we hate them. And that was it, that was my way of dealing with that. I 
unfortunately. We cancelled the show then uh, and basically made a lifelong enemy out of, I think the guy's called Sean Herbert. Lovely guy, lovely guy. <laughs> unfortunately, you have to work with me, you see, and I were a total douchebag, so there's that. How do you know but how man, long... we made nothing on the record? In fact, it was me fortune to make that show. Yeah. Um, because I paid Adam and Brett their wages, and we, you know, all the equipment and everything, and we didn't get anything back from it. So no, we, we lost a fortune making that. So uh, yeah, sorry for opening all these financial wounds for you here. Hey, um... <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So the, the I'm sec- sitting pretty in my mansion right now, so don't worry about it. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the second part you know, of that question was who owns the footage now. Pass. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I would say, well, mm, no. If I if I answered that, I think. How can I put it? Would you get sued? I think I would be inviting attacks upon my person, so I will prefer to pass on that answer right now. But I guess we'll find out. So okay, I I I don't know how far I can push it. So Vince McMahon doesn't own the footage. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. And okay. I'm going to invite the tax. It's okay. I'm all in on this situation. Did so Repo Man repossess the footage after you went out of business? <laughs> he did, but then I got it back from him. Uh, see, there's going to be yeah, a lot of people that have a lot of claims, but I'm going to claim right now that I own that footage. And I invite anybody to challenge me on that. They're more than welcome to, but that's my footage, and I pay for it with my blood, yeah, and tears and sweat, and it belongs to me and my dad. God rest his soul. That was his dream, and it was my dream, and I'm going to invite anybody to challenge me on that. That's my footage, and you'll see what I guess what may be done with it in the future or may not be done. That's interesting. That's very interesting. So, um. Oh, well, I was going to ask a question, and it was a really good question. I've had, too many, I've had too many Red Bulls tonight, boys. That's all right, man. So, um, oh, I was going to ask a, a footage-related question. Um, it probably wasn't that worth asking if I forgot it. So, um, so, <laughs> I, um, no, it was it one of those? I, I again don't know if I can prod too much because I've I've had this thing with uh, studios when I've recorded stuff musically in the studio. Whoever records it with their equipment or whatever then claims to own it. Is it one of those kind of deals, or can you really? Mechanical not copyrights and things yeah. like that. Well, I'll tell you, all the long PW footage up until I left on PW was recorded by a company. Well, was produced. The footage was long PW Promotions Limited. That was all the way through. Yeah. Now I've got a contract here that I, we paid a very expensive solicitor to write it before we started our first show that said that when we recorded those shows, the footage rights were transferred to another company. And the idea being that that would protect that footage forevermore in case anything ever happened. That was our, whatever it was, we could still get out of it. Um, and so whatever happened to the footage subsequently thereafter, uh, and I even, funnily enough, I've just moved out recently. I've moved out for the first time on my own. I'm 40 years old, just about, and I'm now... Uh, I'm reborn. I'm living on my own, and I, when I moved house, I discovered the original 1PW contract where I quote unquote sold 1PW to the conglomerate of Dragon Eye Suit, etc. 
So I've got that paperwork. I don't think anyone else has got it, but I found it when I moved out along with. Oh, I bet you have some footage. So I'm basically that's what I'm saying. It's 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 mine. Uh -huh. Oh, I bet you have some gems in your in your vault. Um, <laughs> So, uh, see, Mark, this is the gold. This is the stuff that's going to end up on Melter's newsletter, this kind of info. So we've really, we're, we're dug. We've got some controversial comments. This is good. Um, <laughs> so, um, again, um, so, Mark, um, the last show that I went to see was, it was Invincible, and Seamus was there, and um, I believe Homicide was there, and Austin Aries, and um, so that show didn't get a release, I don't think, or did it? From the top of your head, I don't think I it think did. Could be I'm so sure, guys. Oh, again, <laughs> again. I'm asking. I'm like, what color socks did you wear on that day? You know. Um, so um, the shows that the shows that there were so many shows that were produced and were put into retail because I have a memory of Martin Stone, who's now wrestles as Danny Birch in NXT, phoning me up one day. Uh, I was driving. I obviously safely pulled over to take the call. He phoned <laughs> me up and he's like, "I'm not even going to do the accent or the impression." Do the accent, come on! But when I try and do impressions of Scottish wrestlers, they end up wanting to kill me because it sounds like I'm taking the piss. <laughs> okay. And that's, a and that's a shout out to my friend Adrian McCallum. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Martin Stone phoned me up and he's basically, "I'm in HMV." And I'm on a DVD in HMV, mate. This is amazing. <laughs> so it, really, it really was a big deal at the time. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. Um, it, was, it was as well for us. You've got to understand that as well. It was for us being able to walk into HMV and seeing you in there as well. Yeah. Seeing anything that was, other that was than... Mad. It was mad because... But back then, even WWE DVDs weren't as accessible as they were in, like, you know... 2012 onwards, if you like, you know, there was a there was a certain time frame where all of a sudden the shops were flooded with them. But at the time, when being able to spot DVDs from yourselves in the wild was quite, it was quite a, a fun thing. No, it it, yeah. it really was because like the, you know, it, WCW obviously didn't make it onto DVD. Uh, ECW did, uh, but they started showing up in like Poundlands and stuff like that, just like really weird. Um, yeah. But in terms of HMV. Um, you know, WWE wasn't really releasing archive footage at that point, and yeah. um, you know, just to see anything from another company was very, very exciting. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna indulge myself at the moment. Uh, Christian is my favorite wrestler, uh, so I might have one or two Christian questions for you. So, um, how, um, and we'll we'll not go too much longer as well. But like, this is kind of the last thing that I really want to ask about Christian. So, how accessible was he? Did you have to go through TNA at the time to? get Christian because he was NWA champion yeah I, I used to call a lot of wrestlers through um, Bill Barons and I think because we were booking so many wrestlers I think he basically if I'm remembering correctly he'd approached me before he was and said look he's going to be available at this point and if you can do X Y and Z then he's yours um, I do. Look, I think he did a little video for us or something because I'm sure he announced it at a previous show and he's done a little trailer video for us or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I spoke to him quite a few times. Um, I'd love to say he was a nice guy, but we ended up not seeing eye to eye. Really, he's one of the only. I mean, I'm sure he's a lovely guy as well, and I'm a nobody, and he's a, 
you know, I've got a famous wrestler, but I did have quite a lot of disagreements with him and they were quite difficult to work with. From my perspective, just to me, but in retrospect, I can see it from his perspective. If, I, again, I'm, I don't want to prod, really. Was it a pain for him to do these shows? Because obviously, living in America and stuff like that, was it kind of... Did he feel like he was being kind of rented out to another company sort of thing? Or? No, I think he was, he'd heard that. Wrestlers used to hear about and you'd hear about the way that they were treated so well. They had the best comment. You know, like indie wrestling, it was hit and miss in terms of how you were treated when you were booked. Like, would you get the proper ground transport? Would you get a decent hotel? And we always looked after the performance because my philosophy was always look, I can't do this and I wouldn't be able to do this. Mm-hmm. What those guys do is, in, is is amazing. And I always felt like if you're willing to come in and be a part of this vision and you're willing to, to, to take those physical risks, then the very least that I can do as, as the organiser is to make sure everything's taken care of for you and you don't have to worry about anything in, in, in that regard. So we always we had a reputation amongst the workers it's been a really cool place to work where you could be treated really well and also you could make the best gimmick money on the circuit, I think, which obviously for anyone who doesn't know gimmick money is the money that you make on your merchandise sales that you keep for yourself when you perform on an indie show. Oh, as far as I'm concerned, there was no other company um, to the level of you guys who made, like Mark said before, made meeting so many big names in one go so accessible. Um, and that really was just as much of a draw as the show as well, in my opinion. Like, Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm eternally grateful that you got Christian over for those shows and that the, uh, <laughs> that the DVDs came out as well. Um, so, yeah, Mark, I'll, I'll leave it to you to kind of um, wrap Ask up. Ask a couple of questions, I suppose, really, mate. Um, so they're not, they're not so straightforward yet to know questions either. Obviously, that'd be ridiculous. I'm not to say that. But, um, right, we'll start off with the sort of a bit basic crack. What was your favourite event you put on? Whether it was in the first year or in the second year, what was what was your the, the your favourite event and why was it your favourite event? Easily, the first anniversary show. First anniversary show, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was the show. That was a legitimate sellout, and this show was su- was such a big deal that we were go- we sold. Um, I'm not going to. Well, I'm going to do the wrestling promoter thing. Cause I can't remember the exact figures. But I'm just going to make this bit up, but it'll sound. It was around, <laughs> on the lines of about 1,800 seats was like the legitimate capacity of the venue, and we've come close to it a few times. I think we probably at 1,700 a couple of times. But 1,800 was the max, and we'd sold. 1800 seats, and we went back to the dome. And we were like, We worked, we said, Can we fit another 36 seats here? And we couldn't go more than that for insurance, so we got the 36 extra seats. And they sold instantly, and then for the week, so this show was sold that week before with the extra seats put in. And then for the week before that show, we, honestly, the phone in our shop was ringing constantly, people trying to buy tickets for the show. We could have sold. I'll make a number up there. We could have sold an extra 93,000 seeds. <laughs> <laughs> no, we really could have, could, have, could have put a lot more people in that place. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, but when we got in there on the night, I, I've never in my life, in wrestling or anything, felt an emotion like that, the atmosphere in that place. It, was, it sounds cliche, 
but it was it hung thick in the air, man. It, I can feel it now. It's sending shivers down my spine, even recalling it. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely electric. People were buzzing, and this is before the show even started. It was. I will remember that for all my life. Well, I will give you that one as well, mate. Um, based on something you've already mentioned earlier on tonight, that there was plenty of British talent on that show as well. There really you know, was. There really, really was. I think, I think there must have been at least 57 British wrestlers out of the 212 wrestlers featured on the card across the seven-and-a-half-hour show. <laughs> I may have slightly exaggerated those figures, but the percentages are probably right. <laughs> yeah, no, just, 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 it, add, it just did run until one o'clock in the morning as well. <laughs> like, yeah. a, like a Ken Dodd show, just like shiverings. <laughs> but, uh, but it was, it was crappy. I mean, the card was a spectacular card. But even when you look at that card, though, compared to other events that you guys put on. Yes, there was, there was names I really want to go and watch there. Personally, there's a lot of my favourite wrestlers were actually on that card. But they, they weren't necessarily... It wasn't rampacked with, you know, your, your ECW uh, alumni, your TNA. It was, it was this balanced mix of, like, a handful of well-known... You, know, you had um, yeah. Dustin Rhodes was there. Uh, Carino was obviously there. Um, I'm trying to think of people at the time. Yeah, Curry, man, Chris Daniels was was there. In fact, he was against Dustin, wasn't he? Well, we, um, did, that. we did the thing. Where we, we had a lot of British on, loads of British guys on. Yeah, yeah, there, there was, a, and also that show was driven by the booking, and it culminated that entire first year. So I, yeah, I think that was the thing that I was so proud about that 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 the atmosphere, the electricity, really was was not just because I've come to see ex famous wrestler. It was like I've come to see, and for the first time, truly, it was like. I'm speaking as a fan. I have come yep. to see one PW yep. and see what they're going to do. And it was about the promotion. It wasn't about any specific wrestler or match. That's it. And that's how it felt, I think. Uh, you could tell, as you just said, it was, the, it was the culmination of what it was leading to. And it was maybe, dare I say, the birth of what what proper one PW, if you like, and not just an import. Like, yeah. uh, company, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I don't mean that as any disrespect when I say the word import company. I mean, like, you had an identity, I suppose. That's definitely, what I'm definitely. About that. uh, well, that's great, man. Um, but we'd link to that then. I don't know if it was on that card or on a different card. What's, what's your favorite match that's ever been a one PW match? What was it? Your favorite match that you've witnessed from a fan's perspective? Are you watching a match, or even from the perspective of what you had a hand in the booking or whatever it might have been? What was the, the match that you like the best? I would say, in terms of what I enjoyed as a fan, it would be the Burridge and Nigel McGuinness. I think it might have been an Ironman match or a two out of three falls match. Uh, that was my favourite match that we ever put on, just for, as, from a fan's perspective. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. What about any different from a booking perspective? Because it was the coupe or anything like that? Yeah. Well, from a booking perspective, my favourite thing that we that I've ever done in wrestling was the Damnation uh, storyline. Yeah. Which, obviously, after all that happened with Will Not Die, myself and I, so I've legitimately sort of not fallen out, but we, yeah, we guess we had done, and it was a really tender subject. Yeah. Um, but we sort of remained in contact, and in, real, in, in the sort of fictional world of wrestling fandom, people really thought we hated each other. He was connected into my family as well before that, um, uh, through a relationship. Um, 
And people really thought we hated each other, but we, we kept in contact and we sort of came up with this idea for this story. And, and we really, really played it up online that we really hated it. And people really did believe that that, that was true because it was based on something totally, totally real, like the bankruptcy of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did this, I'm sure there was a match going at like the second anniversary show and, and Damnation sort of ran in and, and attacked us and stole the tag belts. And we played it all for legit. And I swear to God, they were, when we sort of, we stopped the show completely dead in the middle, everyone broke character. I was like swearing at Stevie M and like you knew you just and we, we went outside and the camera maintained we didn't cut the camera, the camera kept rolling and they got in the car and like drove off. Sam Tammy now, they drove off with the belts. We had kids round the back of the dome looking for damnation, like legitimately <laughs> people I swear to God it was magical, mate. People legitimately believed that this was a real-life event that occurred. And, of course, it were a complete wrestling fiction. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. It was so... <laughs> in my fascination with wrestling, it's not the physicality, which I respect, and it's not the, like, the glamour of it. My fascination with wrestling has always been that sort of mystical, magical... This is where I've had too many Red Bulls, you see. So <laughs> mystical, oh. magical bit. It's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, with the curtain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the different realm between you. One side of the curtain is the fiction. And then we go to the other side of the curtain and the reality. And it's like the, the, the get, you know, like the goes between the two. That's always been my fascinating wrestling. That there's one world end and another begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to craft a storyline alongside Dan, who I really respect as a creative mind in wrestling, to be able to craft that storyline alongside him and play and I like got to play little parts in it, but that was something I was never interested in. Um that was my best thing that I did in wrestling. Brilliant. That's, Fantastic. That's awesome. Um yeah, go for it Mark. Do you, do you have more questions? Oh. I've got a couple more that's all right. Yeah go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a bit of a weird one, but it's an intriguing one. And I've asked a question to a couple of wrestlers in the past, actually. Now, you don't have to mention a wrestler's name to say here. Don't worry at all. I'm not asking you to, to mention a name or anything like that. What is the strangest request you've ever had from a wrestler? Like a Jeff or anything along those lines. Has somebody requested <laughs> something in order to perform. <laughs> yeah. uh, easy now. <laughs> I'm retired, so I can probably say, but I'm not going to say. Uh, I've got the team you know, of solicitors on standby, just in case. Well, there would have been one wrestler in one of the early shows, and I only found out about this subsequent to the fact that there would have been one wrestler specifically that could possibly may have needed some certain painkillers in order to perform. Now, I will reiterate, I already found out about this subsequent to the fact. And this particular wrestler, I think his bag had been held in customs or something like that, so he didn't have his particular thing that he, re- he needed, I guess, to, to get through what he needed to get through. Mm-hmm. So he may have approached... No, well, it's not may have, but he did. So he approached <laughs> somebody else in the backstage area and told them of his dilemma. And this somebody else was like, oh, I've got something, it's similar to that. Take these. So this wrestler then took these, which obviously weren't the thing what he was used to taking to perform. So he took them, and he actually went out to perform. Of course, these were sort of, uh, I guess, a certain release 
pain, very, very, very strong painkiller with a drowsy sort of effects. So he's performing fine, and about 10 minutes into the performance, they obviously kicked in, and you can notably, if you know who this is, you can watch that match, and you can literally, to, to a second, see in his eyes and see in his body when this occurs, a change, and I have no idea how the match, how he got through the rest of the match. I did only find out about this subsequent to the fact. It was Steve versus Jeff Hardy, wasn't it? <laughs> Anybody that knows can probably figure that yeah. out, but that's not, you know, it's we'll not leave that one there. Then. No, no, yeah. no, we'll, we'll leave that one there. Yeah, like I say, I've got the team of solicitors on standby just in case. So you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so um, right, uh, what I want to do is quickly ask you um, if there was a if Vince McMahon knocked on your door tomorrow. In a positive way, not in a give me that footage, you bastard, none of that kind of stuff, but more like a knock, knock, knock. Would you like to do a 1PW one night stand event? <laughs> and said to you, it's not a problem to book people, uh, providing that they're, you know, they're not under contract on the main shows or anything like that. Have you had any dreams about booking a, a sort of like a farewell 1PW kind of a one off anniversary match? Uh, if so, have you thought about who you'd book based on who's available realistically, uh, contractually, kicking around in the world? Have you had any thoughts about that kind of thing? Or is it, is it you know... Well, I'm not going to ask you the question, is it feasible? I won't go down that route. Mm-hmm. Is, is it something that you have like, thought about? I'm sure you definitely have. I mean, we all have. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Well, have you got a card in mind, you know? Well, to give you an idea, this is not something that I have realistically considered, obviously. But in this fantasy scenario, mm-hmm. is this Vince McMahon's involved in this? So we Why can, not? We use, well, obviously, you'd want to have, and this is hypothetical, you'd obviously want to get Corey Graves involved because he was one of the main sort of success stories. Of, I know he wasn't British, but he was a wrestler that we, we sort of, no one, that's no disrespect to him, but no one had really heard of him. We started booking him, he became a a huge star in one PW. Um, so you definitely want him. Mm-hmm. I guess you'd want what does, what does Spud wrestle as in WWE? Drake Maverick. Drake Maverick, mm-hmm. yeah. So you'd want I saw they did a photo oh, they put on Instagram last year and it was backstage at a WWE show and it was a SJK pinning Spud and it was that hashtag if you know you know. And of course they yeah. had this big rival we didn't in one PW. That's right. <laughs> um, but we played a game when we, we watched WrestleMania the other week, and it's a game. It's like how many people who wrestled in Market View can you <laughs> can you tick off? You know, as the card progresses, and um, it gets a bit obscene to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of British guys, my top British guy was always and will always be Burridge. Yeah, um, love the guy. Still my friend to this day. He's a great, he's a great act, um, really fun to watch as well, and just immensely over with anybody who's watching as well, which is good. He's like really yeah. appealing to kids and parents and whatever. He's yeah. got, that, got that air about him, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, now you say this, there is a show coming up. I'm gonna, I'm crap at doing plugs. There's a show coming up promoted by PWE, which is about Cleethorpes, <laughs> and I believe. I said I've done no prep for this at all, and I'm the worst person to promote anything now because I don't know the date. I think it's that June 10th. <laughs> and they booked Ulf Herman, <gasps> and they've advertised him as 1PW legend Ulf Herman. Brilliant. Yeah. So I've sort of, the promoter of that is a guy that used to come to 1PW shows when he was 
I feel so old back to his kid. So he, he's got Ulf Herman on this show and it's booked as a 1PW sort of legend. So I have been in the last six months, I've started going to wrestling shows again as a fan after not being involved or in any capacity with anything for years. Um, and I've loved it. Uh, so I've been taking my friend, who's called Michael Bell, he was the best referee in the UK for many years. Uh, he's been in ill health for God knows how many years now, and through things sustained through his wrestling career, he's like pretty much bedbound. So I've been going out with him to British wrestling shows, and it's been absolutely lovely. And people have been so kind to me, and I've visited with old friends. It's been wonderful. So we've said we're going to go to this show in Cleethorpe, and I've been contacted by so many sort of former uh, staff members and fans who are going to this show. So it's almost like an unofficial get-together kind of thing of old 1PW fans. So that's coming up in June in Cleethorpe's. I will stress I'm nothing at all to do with the company. I'm just strictly a fan who's going to enjoy it. But um, it should be really interesting. Who's the promoter of them these days, mate? Do you know? For that, it's a thing they're called British Wrestling. Oh, God, I'm so rubbish. Sorry, guys. They're called British Wrestling Experience, I think. BWE. Did this guy throw out a Leeds by any chance? No, they're just in Cleethorpe's area. Just in Cleethorpe's area, okay. Yeah. I love that you say you crap with plugs. It's a good job you didn't own a, a national wrestling company for. <laughs> hey mate, when I hey look, if it, my, if it were my name on the line and my money on the thing, guaranteed I'd be prepared and I would be telling you the date. But this kind of proves that it's nothing to do with me. Because... <laughs> um, so in terms of like promotion of these shows as well, what did you have like a separate budget for that? Like, did you have to really um go for it in terms of, like posters, flyers, etc. or did you keep that to as minimal as possible because, you know, online hopefully would carry you sort of thing? The online was a huge part of it because it was, the, you know, the names we were booking. But I was, we did really build up in, we were running Doncaster, which has got great transport links. So we were able to get fans from all over the country coming in. Yeah. But I was always a believer in the old fashioned style of promoting. So we would really be on the ground postering, flyering, that kind of stuff. And we had great links with the like the press, like the Sheffield Doncaster Star. We got loads of like front pages on that paper that would be like, you know, like the day after the show, as if it was a major big deal, like it would be like this happened last night in Doncaster. Yeah. Um, which I kind of found when I moved house, so I got all of them, which I thought were lost in time. Um so it was a combination of that local promoting and the internet side of things. But man, there were no Facebook or anything in those days. I think we would have been I think we would have been really on a roll if we'd have had those kind of tools at our disposal. Yeah, it's amazing what you were able to do in that kind of, I guess, wilderness time of technology, I guess. I mean, we didn't know what was to come in terms of how easy, relatively, it would be. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's beyond admirable what you've been able to do. in the hey, On, the, on the subject, mate, very quickly, of the wilderness of technology, I would like to say that 1PW did the first ever in Britain, uh, like, internet pay-per-view video-on-demand event. No one remembers this. That's because I think about 20 people bought it. <laughs> when we did a show in, in 2006, at this point we had Mark Sloan and his guys producing the show for us. Yeah. And it was a deal after that. I can't remember the website's name now, but they were, we were like the lead product that they were launching with and, and also all of the sort of ECW-type brands in America. 
And we recorded the show that night, or Mark Sloan did. And then when, when the ring and everything had gone away that night, we I met him at my premises at like one o'clock in the morning. And him and Wade and there was a bunch of those guys ended up in NXT and they were huddled in his van. Uh, and we all drove to my house, which was a little semi-detached house in a village in Doncaster. And they stayed up all night in my living room. For whatever they were doing with the footage, the following morning it was available as an internet pay-per-view. First one ever, you know, in this in this sort of region of the world. And that's in 2006. That's I think WWE took the network idea from us to be fair. I think we plagiarised us. <laughs> you know, <I> mean, <laughs> um, and and you had no like technical difficulties because you know you you hear you heard the horror stories about the Ring of Honor web shows that like the feed would die halfway through and you know you yeah, well, it won't die for it it was like like so the show happened on whatever Friday whatever night it was Friday or Saturday night yeah. And then by like 10 a.m. the following morning, it was there as a video on demand. But so that's sensible, you know what I mean? Don't go out live because, you know, you've got to... I've never been described as sensible, so thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Should we end on that high note then? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll just quickly mention there, because you mentioned it, Stevie, that it's uh, it's BWR, British Wrestling Revolution. Oh, God, sorry. Uh, no, I don't admit I'm, it. I'm saying sorry to those guys, like such a dick now. No, I don't, I I'm sure they'll understand. As well, and I didn't even get the name right. Well, I, I think they put on a, an event called Rated R by the looks of it, and uh, Ulf, Ulf is indeed mentioned for it in a European. What is it? Is it a European death match? I don't know. mentioned the fact it's a European death match icon yeah. and one PW legend, and that's on Friday the seventh of June. So we'll check that go. one in there. Yeah, we'll put. So a link. If any old one PW fans really want a bit of a get together, I would urge to come along to that show, and I'll be there, and I'll happily. Uh, I'll fully accept a pint of anybody <laughs> who wants to buy me one. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I will definitely. You need to get yourself up here as well, man. <laughs> get yourself to the northeast. Plenty of amazing wrestling going on up here at the moment. Uh, yeah, I've of, uh, got, I was meant to be going to a Defiant show in Leeds last week, but I've been, unfortunately, I've been really ill recently. Yeah. Um, so I was planning to go to that. I've got a few things that I'm looking to go to. Um, yeah, it's. It seems brilliant. I'm just, I'm enjoying, uh, you know, I'm enjoying checking it out again. Enjoying being a fan. Eh? Yeah, it's lovely, mate. It is. It's really lovely. Good. That's cool. Well, we'll put a link below the show for, um, for information on uh, the show coming up. And um, would uh, do you have a message for any sort of long term fans? Whether this whether this interview and I'm not going to build it up too much is the final chapter of One PW. You know, the the closing of the book. Um, or whether it's oh, maybe we'll get a million listeners and then you get a massive petition to start One PW again. Um, maybe it's a reopening of the book, yeah. Yeah, whether you've got enough hair to tear out as a promoter at this point, you know. Well, I lost my, I lost all my hair a few years ago. I had a really bad illness and it's all grown back, so uh, I've got plenty of hair now to tear out. <laughs> <laughs> so when do you go along here and pull us out? Yeah, you can pull my hair out. Um, I not that I get off on that sort of thing, but um, so <laughs> where uh, if you are happy with people finding you on the internet you know you're not hiding from law enforcement or anything like that where would uh, people find you and uh, do you have a message for your 1PW faithful yeah well as long as you are not my estranged slash ex-wife or anyone connected to her then please 
Javier and I would love to talk to anybody. You can get me on Twitter at SCG8Bit. Uh, that's sort of my renaissance in my life, the career that I've developed after wrestling as a design consultant and an artist. So you can get me on Twitter. I'm on Facebook under my genuine real name. I'm not hiding. I'm Stephen Gordley on Facebook. Anybody that wants to find me or wants to get in touch with me, feel free to do so. And I just want to say to anybody that ever bought a ticket to any of those shows, that ever came to the shows, that was the fucking wildest ride of my life. And I got to live my dreams with no, absolutely no regrets. And it nearly destroyed me and I had to leave for a long time. But I'm, I'm grateful to be accepted back into the community of wrestling fans as a fan. And I am happy in my career and my life and what I'm doing. But who knows? I've given up being able to predict the future. Uh, I've tried a few times. I thought my life was going to be certain things. And of course, here I am. I'm nearly 40. I've just moved house and been on my own. So life's a very unpredictable thing. And I don't know what the future is going to hold. But there's a lot of exciting things hopefully going to be going on in the future. That's amazing. Um, Mark, do you have any do you have any last words? I'm all good, man. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking part in this, Steve. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And obviously, we'll be carrying on chatting as we normally do. Uh, during our usual usual haunts online, um, but yeah, it'd be great. You know, you never know. Maybe catch up hopefully in the future, and maybe do something similar again. As you yeah. know, myself and Pablo here, we do uh, we do this turn chuckle chat. We, we travel around the country, putting on retro wrestling game events and stuff under the Grapple Arcade moniker. And, uh, oh, fantastic, by the way. I wish, thank you, you do, I wish you would do one in Lincoln. Yeah, <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I, wish you, I, wish that, I wish somehow that could happen. <laughs> well, well, we'll keep, we'll keep chatting about that. There must be a way around it. There must be a way around it. Yeah. But, um, but also, you never know, man. We might, get, we might have a potential episode in the future of uh, doing a reminiscent uh, slot on, on our Hands Up the Merchandise show as well, where we look at... Um, um, DVDs and whatnot and things of that nature. So we'll have to have a chat with you about one PW at some point. But yeah, no worries, guys. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, honestly. I was really nervous about doing this because I, I'm kind of the person who doesn't talk, but then once you've been talking, you obviously can't shut me up. So I really have appreciated just the platform that anybody gives a fuck about me or anything I've done. Uh, I'm massively humbled. Thanks, guys. I've really enjoyed it. No. You're welcome, man. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.